Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. We have begged, and they have walked. When our calamity came, we beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of neighbor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of Hello, I'm Cyrus. I'm your socialist brother, and I'm joined here in the studio by my brother, Chase. Chase, why don't you introduce yourself to the folks at home? Right on. My name's Chase. Uh, Cyrus's older brother by, uh, shucks, five years. Uh, Cy, in the intro, you said you were a socialist now in the spiritual wilderness, in the spirit of post-Christmas movie, Christmas story sense. What brought you to this lowly stage? What happened? Oh, yeah, it's been a long and uh, precipitous fall. But uh, I'd say, yeah, it's it's been quite a few things. You know, I think yeah, I mean, last we last last I remember. So last we lived together almost 10 years. You were uh, like I uh, probably raised in a, in a house full of uh, people that at least believed in God. And so you, you're you're not that and you're not. Um, normal mainline, mainline conservative. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say that if anything, when I was, you know, still uh, when we were still living together last, I was definitely more ideologically convicted by conservatism or or and Christianity. But as the years have gone on, I'm now much more ideologically convicted by, you know, the theories of socialism, but sort of in a place of spiritual searching. You know, I think some, it was Around my junior year of college, I, I left uh, religion, organized religion in a, any meaningful sense. And I, uh, I think like a lot of people who leave religious backgrounds became more militantly anti-religious in, in a sense or, or felt like it was all, all wrong. Certainly would have considered myself more of an, like an atheist. But as the years have now. gone on and I feel like I am still don't have all my answers answered that there are, there are spiritual questions, which I, I still have. And I have a lot of, a uh, lot more spiritual curiosity than I did in that immediate aftermath of, of leaving religion. Okay. Appreciate that. I remember we, you and me, man, prayed together probably hundreds of nights, but yeah, I, I got to own that too, though, being in, in political wilderness, you know, what starting probably mainline conservative as our parents are now even further down the line. Uh, but, you know, going through a couple different transformations, going to school, getting an advanced degree even after that, and really digging into 0809, getting married. Uh, I've had, I am now no longer what I thought I was, and that's probably times two or three uh, different changes. So, you know what, when we started getting together and, and having these intense conversations, I said, we, we need to at least get a regular touch point where I can figure you out. And maybe you can figure me out and Maybe I should, you know, share why I love Jesus and who knows. So, yeah, I think that's my perspective on it as well, because when for the, the years, the intervening years between the times we lived together, you know, uh, but back when you were still in high school and then until the pandemic came and we, you know, moved in together for the first time in a long time, those conversations were a lot more bristly. Uh, and it wasn't really until we were forced to be in the same space that our political and spiritual conversations took on a different level of maturity, I'd say. Yeah, I think we need this, Cyrus, or I, I certainly do. I want to understand your positions and opinions better 
certainly everybody in between us. And then our ultimate goal is to increase some brotherly love, uh, even maybe neighborly love, if we can carry that forward. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, I'd say that's right. Or just extending some sort of brotherly love out to, uh, you know, all of our brothers and sisters out there. Because I think if you can't have these kinds of discussions with your own brother, you know, then we, we might be a little bit more lost than we think. And, and at, at least, you know, as our opinions started to diverge in maybe 2015, 2016, like a lot of families' opinions did around that time. You know, it became at one point, I think we I felt like I was was going to throw up my hands and just say, you know, I'm not even going to talk politics with my family anymore. Yeah. And, and uh, what a tragedy if we can't even do that. And, you know, I also need the opportunity to explore as a Christian or someone who's really trying to model their life after Christ, how to express myself and my faith in the public square or in politics. I think now more than it got to be in the last couple of decades. Christians with microphones think multiple different ways of what we should be doing right now. So, yeah. And as we've forced ourselves to have more and more of those discussions, we've realized that there's actually quite a bit more commonality in the type of world we maybe want to see and the types of things that we think are really detrimental to ourselves and our culture and our society. And that, you know, that maybe there's more common ground there than initially, than initially thought. So um, hopefully we can kind of leverage that for, for good. (laughs) Our goal is, that's right, carve out some similarities, identify the differences, and see if we can both agree on practical but also conceptual ways to, to move forward that maybe we, we haven't seen before or everyone else doesn't think exists. And I think it's worth bringing up how this all got brought together, right? So we're still in the uh, COVID stream and you know vaccine rollout here, but COVID brought you back from overseas just traveling. COVID got Samantha and I, my wife, just to head out and join you at mom and dad's for a couple months. And so we've had a, like a, a collision of worlds um, and we haven't lived together in like, what, 10 years almost. And so lots of change. Like yeah. But I think, you know, as people who don't know us wouldn't realize that, you know, we've come from a, the same family background, grew up with the same parents throughout our whole lives, lived in the same places more or less. And then we even went to the same college and joined the same profession yeah. So uh, yeah, that it, through that process, we've become have we have wildly different perspectives. Yeah, worth stating here. So just to kind of restate that with some details for folks, uh, lay a foundation before we, we get into it. So Cyrus and I were both in the army. We both went to West Point Military Academy, and we, we had the same parents. And it's worth also stating that you know both of our mom and dad, uh, what married when they were nineteen or twenty, had me really shortly thereafter. Came from single family or single parent challenging situations. And man, we moved a couple times uh, growing up and certainly from my perspective, but still being older, we changed man from like lower class, lower middle, middle, upper middle class, all within 18 years. And so span of our lives, I would say. Yeah, right, rapid transformation. And so we both had wild political ideological changes, especially going through West Point in the army and that bring us back to COVID and we're on seemingly opposite ends of the spectrum and George Floyd's murder really set it off as well. Well, and I think that speaks to, you know, both of our parents not having really gone to college. They didn't really have strong ideological convictions or they didn't have any, you know, conditioning from any sorts of institutions that would give them those things. Political ones. Yeah. I mean, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Politically, politically speaking. And so, you know, their ideological situation was pretty fluid. I imagine as we were growing up and that definitely informs how ours would be as well. 
that being said, it was certainly a, a conservative household. And that's, that's kind of more the way you ended up. What, you know, how did, how did, how did that, how did you get there? And then, you know, how did that start to start to change? Yeah, sure. So again, I think we probably had an overall American dream, right? Not without some, like some dark stains and some toughness there. I think mom and dad probably started liberal and became more conservative as, you know, he got out of union and uh, started making more money. And so I also went, so just a little bit. So I was, mom and dad scraped to, to put me in a private Christian school for a few years when we were in California. That's where I was sort of introduced to Christ. And I was the first one in our family to, to believe and become baptized. Yeah. I was going to say, really, were mom and dad even Christian when they put you in that school? No, I, you know, and I think the local alternative was just not what they were going to do. So actually some of my first memories were mom and dad, like budget meetings, like shut up. This is, <laughs> this is going down, <laughs> but so, yeah. And then, but we moved. And so, um, I think just since you've labeled me as Christian brother, man, not until maybe 2013. So six, seven years ago from as a kid until that point through me being in the army, I definitely use my faith in God probably more as a a means to an end than a role reversal where I'm, I'm more following, following Jesus, but um, sort of as a part of your, your identity as a part of your, yeah. uh, Your armor that you go to navigate the world rather than, you know, and uh, a really felt deeply sense, deeply, deeply felt thing. Is that kind of what you mean? I think so. Yeah. And yeah, I, I dive in here and then try to get us through quick. But um, so like mom and dad, were going to have an abortion. And my step great grandfather was the only one that like stepped in. And only thing he said to dad was like, a boy will make a boy's decision and a man will make a man's decision. And he interpreted that as like, okay, I got to do it. And this is like great grandfather, Duke, Korean war guy. So he's, you know, got that kind of wasta. And so that always stuck Healthy with me. Fellow. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons I'm obviously pretty pro-life, but mom and dad were pretty tough. Like mom loving Pitbull was a waitress for a long time. And so she was always hustling. And then dad worked a lot of hours. They were both super involved. And in, at least in our upbringing, as I kind of see it, sometimes it got a little too intense. I appreciate it now in a sense, but you know, there were times I was broken fingers, broken ribs, playing football and dad, uh, you know, hand and face mask gently told me, you need to figure it out, dude. We're already losing. We can't lose you. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> a little humble but, brag you know there for you. Chase was great at youth football, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, <laughs> big uh, endorsement. More on me through the way, man, I only wanted to go to West Point. That's the only place I applied, which drove mom nuts. Thank God I got in. I did a bunch of the activities there. I boxed and yeah, taught Sunday school. What kind of drove you to West Point though? Like what was the... Yeah, thanks. Um, Two, man, I I wanted to learn about leadership, right? So my dad became a Freemason. So he just knew about some American history. And so we kind of pumped it up and I got the mailer. And then 9-11, I, you know, as everyone, I remember where I was uh, driving to, what was it, sixth grade? And so, man. Yeah, I was in first and I remember it, so... Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that's kind of a, it's just a trippy thing of our generation. So I wanted to serve and, and I wanted to give back and uh, be a part of, of, of the defense of our country. And so when I got at West Point, I, I think if I had to categorize everything I learned in one quote I saw when I showed up, like day one, it's carved on the side of a building, which is the nation that makes a great distinction between its soldiers and its scholars will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. And it just kind of clicked. I'm like, okay. This is about public service, no matter what, like, and that's what West Point, I think, tried to teach me. And hopefully I try to make them good on that investment is servant leadership. 
And so I jacked that up all the time. You can ask Samantha. So that's what I got out of West Point. It's sort of what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure we can dig down a little bit more into, sure. you know, the, the reasons for that good, desire for good, public yeah, service, but that's good buddies, right. for another episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it, not, no place is perfect. And then, yeah, I graduated, did all the infantry armor recon schools or whatever, and then was stationed in Hawaii for like five years and traveled throughout the Pacific with some of our allies out there. While I was in Hawaii, I got married. Um, man, that was more life-changing or just as life-changing as going to West Point. You know, Samantha's got a, a wildly different family of mine. Uh, they're East Coast, older, educated. And, uh, you know, she was born and raised Jewish. And so, you know, our words, worlds have collided and it's uh, definitely taught me a lot. So that's a little me here. Um, and, and that's how I approach a lot of this. But probably the last thing to, to say is got out, almost had a heat stroke, almost died, was in the army, just a training accident. And then I'm uh, working at a Wall Street bank and go to an awesome church in uh, downtown Dallas. It's pretty multi-ethnic. So I've got a lot of uh, Hispanic black brothers uh, sharing their perspective and they're not even in agreement. So we go to a wildly politically diverse church and um, part of the navigators too. I just throw that out because man, they really try to get personal with Jesus. And the more I pursue Jesus and God, the more I become a lot less concerned about some of what I really cared about, namely the defense of capitalism and America in some ways. In some ways I care more, but that kind of gets, it trails me off. Yeah, it's, it's a different type of care. It's a sort of a shallow, more patriotic one. And I think one of caring about the, the heart of the, of the country. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a little me here, but okay. So man, last before COVID, you uh, were pretty much conservative, you know, normal like I was, involved in all the same activities, still going to church. Well, the long before COVID, yes. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yeah long. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, I'm talking uh, like I left high yes. school. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I was, uh, you know, raised in very much the same way, uh, although, uh, albeit quite a bit less intense probably than, than you received it. Uh, I think so, yeah, you know, probably. Five well, years in, later. In fairness, though, just to like mom and dad gave me a lot of liberty over you probably too much. And that's a lot of stuff I regret. Like, do you remember Charlie sessions? I, I don't think I could forget. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, for, how for those, would you, is there a vignette just, just to, cause I, God, how do you remember that? Uh, I remember uh, throwing oh, or not throwing up at the top of the stairs because <laughs> of a fear of having to run more stairs for uh, those who are, are unaware. When Chase was my babysitter, uh, when I was much younger, I was, I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit thick around, uh, thick around the edges for, for a youngster. And, uh, we, I had to make weight for football. So my parents did give the chase the liberty to make me run stairs until he saw fit that it was over. God. Um, and I remember I had exactly four seconds to get to the top of the stairs and it was not always the most consistent counting of four seconds. Uh, uh and if I didn't get to the top of the stairs, the rep didn't count. So, uh, that was a, uh. Yeah, that was definitely an education in, in oh, uh, man. I'm in pain management. I do regret a lot of that, <laughs> a vast majority of it, at least. And I apologize. <laughs> hey, um, you know it happened. So there's nothing, nothing to apologize for now. But 
who knows? You might have gone so much over the edge that that's what that's what brought me to to all these all these crazy esoteric views that as a, yeah, at the dinner table now to lead you into that. I think we have really similar personalities. I've been told I'm a I'm a, I'm a tad bit driven to su- succeed and accomplish things, yeah. and you're the same amount driven, but to do whatever it is the heck you want to do. To do as little work as possible. No, no that's not true. <laughs> uh, uh, you'd be surprised how much I'd work to not do work. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, anybody that shortchanges you can go freaking suck a lemon. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Walk us through, though, man. So, yeah. How'd we get there? Well, yeah. I mean, so growing up, then obviously I was, it was definitely a bit in your shadow. Chase, Chase undersells his high school experience. He was the Captain America in all the worst and best ways. Yes. You know, captain yeah. of the football team, president of the Young Republicans Club, uh, <laughs> president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, all those all those check the box ones. But, you know, he, he got into West Point And I think it's it's funny. Chase said my mom was furious at him because uh, he only applied to one school. I'm pretty sure my mom was was like upset when I would apply to schools other than West Point. Yeah. Uh, as I was as I was trying to get into college, because. Five years is a long time, and uh, by the end of that, they were they were all in on the uh, long grade line, forty seven month leadership experience. So I didn't have as much of a choice. I mean, like anyone, I had a choice, but uh, well, uh, cut in on you there. Certainly, it was for me laid out like that's one of the reasons football was so big for a long time for me. If I was going to go to college, we just assumed it would be to play football because they weren't going to finance it. <laughs> so. Right, right. And, and you know, you didn't show a ton of promise intellectually. <laughs> <laughs> still don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think there was still that like, hey, dude, figure it out. If, you know, go work or get a scholarship or do something. Yeah, it was definitely an expectation that we were going to go to college and that it would be a good college, but that there wasn't going to be any financial assistance. Yeah. And so, yeah, I didn't, uh, I, my folks said that they would help me only help me pay for school. If I got into a, a college that was the equivalent of West point, which in their minds was basically at just the Ivy leagues. And I definitely didn't get into those. So yeah, uh, <laughs> correct me here, but I like taking on student debt just wasn't even an option. I like, n- not only did we not really know about it, but it was just something that, why would you go do that? It'd go literally be, I'm not saying other people are, but like from our mindset at that point, a leech and just go into school, like you would need to at least, you know, save up a down payment to, to get that going. Oh yeah. No, it was just, I just, yeah, I don't remember ever even thinking that like taking out loans was something that was like, I would do just because yeah. our parents were so just generally against that. It was basically, yeah, if you don't get into college, then it's time to move out and start working. Right. Well, in fairness, like I think they rolled it like, you know, 16, 17 themselves. So no, definitely. Anyway. Yeah. But there was always that expectation. And, you know, I think um, I think it was probably you who said when I was like, uh, you know, six or seven years old, if you don't come up with something equivalent to the theory of relativity, then you've shortchanged yourself. Mm, I I, again (laughs) apologize for that. (laughs) So there was always sort of an expectation that I would go do something and, and that the shortest way to join the ruling class is to go to one of those schools. And for someone who might not have the money or quite as much access, West Point is an even quicker way to do that because they pay for your education completely. So, you know, that's, I think, where we both, where we both saw it. And 
I remember coming home from a summer trip uh, the summer before going to college and I went to visit West Point for like two weeks where it was like a summer leadership seminar where they basically run you through what it's like to be a West Point cadet, you know, except the prettied up version, put a little lift. Sterling, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I remember coming back from that being like, oh, well, I'm definitely not going to go there. But, you know, economic uh, situations uh, dictated otherwise. So okay. so you go. Yeah. So I went, uh, tried to tried to be into it for, uh, you know, I'd say the first six months I gave it, gave it the old college try. And then I realized I hated it and decided to stay another three and a half years because I'm a masochist. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> something we, we, we share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there there were uh, there were a small cohort of, of people I met that helped me make it through and being an English major was certainly part of that. I definitely was uh, one of the good things you be. think you took away from that experience. Um, well, I would say I know I, I know what my floor looks like. Um. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, not only that, though, man, like you got to at least give him the ode. To, what's a century man? And, you know, you were that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I barely graduated. We can get into the details of exactly why. In a later <laughs> no, episode. not future episode. Uh, <laughs> but suffice it to say that in order to graduate, I had to walk 100 hours, which involves getting in a full uniform with On your with your saber on the weekends and marching back and forth for forget exactly how long it was a weekend. I think you get three hours on Friday and maybe and you're eight like hours on Saturday room restricted on the weekends until you complete. Yeah. Room. And you're room restricted. So you can't leave your room until you finish. So well, I was learn you right. My, my last four months at West point were essentially on house arrest where the only time I could leave was to eat and walk around in a straight line. Teach you uh, to piss in so, it yeah. was a it was a nice farewell. I was ready to leave by anyway. the time <laughs> yeah. by the time I took okay. off. I'll, I'll say that much. But yeah, also by the time I left, you know, my during I'd say my junior and senior year, my ideological convictions had really started to shift. Um, really, from my first freshman year when I was there, uh, in a lot of ways, but not really fully formed until junior senior year. And then that was you know by that time I was already fully committed, and there was there was no leaving without owing the army. A lot of money so yeah i graduated and uh, became an armor officer commissioned as an officer and uh pretty shortly thereafter i realized that the cognitive dissonance of being someone who's pretty anti u.s imperial interests and anti you know the way they use their military to uh, forward their own foreign policy uh which might not be of interest of our people or anyone else's i had a moment where i was teaching these kids 18, 19 years old, uh, how to use tanks, essentially weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, I'd coming into work, Dan and dad had been just grinding down on me for a long time. And so I had to go into my commander's office that day and, and just say, I, I can't be a part of this. This is, uh, you know, this is, it, it had, gotten to the point where my depression had, you know, definitely overtaken my ability to do the job anyways. So uh, it's kind of, you know, me and the army just shook hands and said, I think it's in a, both of our best interests that we don't see each other anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, well, was, I know that, was uh, a, that was the end of that. I, I, you know, you know, you've definitely grown through that. I know it was a real dark time for you. And you know what, there was a lot of, and you still do hold those convictions really personally and, and, and tight. And so 
Um, I know you to be someone who, especially after West Point and everything else and that whole experience, you don't want to do something you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, I couldn't be brought to, uh, you know, take part in something I didn't believe in at all. And I felt like the army didn't want that anyways, not to mention the fact that I was, you know, just pretty much mentally incapacitated. But after that, I was kind of just a, a, a drift a little bit. Didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do. I uh, actually uh, attempted to get a job with the, the Bernie campaign staff, but I uh, volunteered with them for a long time. Uh, yeah, I volunteered and I, I didn't make the, the final cut for the actual position. Um, and at that time, there was a lot of other uh, political instability in South America. And, you know, I speak relatively good Spanish. I'd spent some time in Mexico. I figured, at least from my perspective, it seemed like a lot of the same pressures and causes of the political instability in, in that part of the world were similar, very similar to the United States, just exacerbated by like more intense conditions in those places. And so I saw, you know, the, the riots and protests that broke out in Chile and then later Colombia and Bolivia of, of last year as a precursor to something that would happen in the United States. So I wanted to go down there and see it for myself, you know, show some, some solidarity, but also just kind of learn, try to be an observer and, and then hopefully take some of that, that organizing and, and whatnot back to the United States with me. And I came back in March because of the coronavirus and, uh, you know, no sooner than by July did the protests after the murder of George Floyd break out. And that was kind of to bring us full circle. A lot of the thing that really those conversations we had in the days uh, after that were the germination of what we're doing now. Yeah. Right. And I know that there was a lot of conversations stopped early or one of the two of us would sort of bow out and listen to the other people yelling, talking unneighborly for sure. And plus we had a grandpa in the mix of the house and that's a whole nother generation (laughs) of political uh, fervor that, you know, really throws, throws everything into, into out of balance. And that's probably a good point to wrap it up and and lay out what we're really trying to get, how we're going to move forward. Right. So I see a lot of what you've said, socialism, this is my working hypothesis that I'm very willing to change if, you know, we can get some truth, if we, if you present superior argument, and that is secular socialism, particularly in America, has been brought in by the failure of Christians, particularly in America, to lead the hearts of capitalism and, and, to, and to manage capitalism well. And so I think if we're going to do anything in the future, it's not going to be beat um, each other over the head with Bibles. It's going to be loving one another as Jesus really wanted us to and participating in society how he wanted us to, which is what I'm still trying to figure out, but then also trying to enlighten and humble capitalism um, because I, I think it's, it can be used for a force for good, certainly not a capital G good. Yeah, I mean, I think while I would like, def- I would, I would definitely disagree with you just in a general, I think capitalism can be saved from itself sense. I, I don't believe that. But uh, what I do believe is that like the faith that Christians have and that, that the faith that re- people of all religious faiths, but Christianity is definitely the most applicable here in the United States, can, is something that can be used and, and channeled for, for good. I think really what the main difference, I think Christians and socialists is, is that you believe the kingdom of heaven can't be seen on this earth or even really some facsimile thereof. And socialists say, well, I'm not willing to wait and find out. I, I'm gonna, I want to try and make that exist here. 
Well, um, yeah, maybe not without Jesus, we can't have it. But I do think also we've identified a lot of similarities in, in problems that like that are clear abuses that I and one of the reasons I've been so stirred up about questioning what I've been believing is because I think a lot of good, well-meaning Christians have been manipulated in many senses based on their social values to vote for and support economic interests that aren't in their favor. And so this, I want me, I want God to challenge and, and, and make Christians explore and pray and read the Bible about how they should be expressing what they believe. And, and, and that includes talking to socialists, because when you said something about you're a socialist because you think it's the most loving system, it almost like my jaw dropped. You know what I mean? Like you're, you, you approach your views because of love and that's not what a yeah, Christian I, Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's the other thing is it's not just their economic interests. It's, it's also cultural interests, too. You know, like I think Christians do want a more loving, less materialistic, less consumer creating of a society, one that doesn't just turn us all into inputs and outputs into this economic wheel. Like we, we all recognize that, you know, a life governed by economic forces is a life, I think, that will be governed by self selfish choices and self-centered choices. So I think that's that's the other thing too is is you know I understand that socialism has gotten a bad rap in the United States for a long time and I guess I just hope to and I think you've seen through a lot of our discussions that I am coming out of a place of you know not wanting to punish anyone or do anything like that but but to bring people into a system that is motivated by cooperation and love for our fellow man rather than by competition and uh, the desire to, uh, you know, be over your fellow man. Yeah. And that gets to our overall mission. It's really to rediscover faith in each other, each other's groups and uh, the American experiment, because we know it's fragile and it's an experiment. And I think we should have next episode, you laying out just basis for why your socialism, why capitalism's bad in your mind. I'll try to bring out what you're saying rather than challenge. We can flip script and then we can start really chopping it up. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll be doing that quite a bit, especially as we start giving each other a little bit of uh, slack as yeah. we you know, try to articulate our positions. And uh, for, for those listening, we, we hope you stay with us. And uh, yeah, definitely look forward to, to talking about that. Before we go, we wanted to give a brief note about our name, Cross of Gold. Uh, for those who are, don't know, it's a reference to a speech by William Jennings Bryan, kind of known as one of the first uh, progressives in the United States, ran for the Democratic nomination for president and won it, but didn't win president in the um, 1890s. I think he ran three times. Um, but it was an effort to stop the United States from going on to the gold standard. Those quotes you heard at the beginning of the show in the intro are excerpts from the speech that he gave when he was delivering uh, speech at the Democratic National Convention in an effort to secure the nomination. Uh, and he did so on a, what would be considered an extremely populist message. I like it because <laughs> it is a good symbol of what uh, we can make a cross out of. We can make it out of gold. We can make our beliefs about success in American hegemony. But Jesus Christ's cross was nasty, a sharp wood. And so if we get our patriotism too mixed up with our system of beliefs we can create hell so yeah and, and williams jennings bryan was a was a devout christian definitely do some research on doing your own research as they say it's but uh he's good stuff i, I highly recommend there you go he is born he acts he dies but principles are eternal and this has been a contest 
every principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.